0: With our fighting spirit,
1: we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Solskjaer has won the European Cup for Manchester United! It's absolutely astonishing!
0: The double is definitely Manchester United. Too far for Ronaldo to think about it. Absolutely sensational! It's red in Russia. This English night in Europe is Manchester United's night.
1: We've had the international break now. Manchester United have some more injury concerns ahead of a crucial clash against Liverpool that some have claimed could spell the end for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as manager. United themselves insist that's not true and after a couple of weeks without United playing, we've had a chance to reflect on things. We preview the Liverpool game and talk more generally about all things United and as always, we have our extensive youth, loan and women's roundup on Series 5, Episode 11 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. game to react to this week Jack and that I guess gives us the opportunity to to reflect on the season so far Um with fewer than four days away from a big game against Liverpool it could I guess in one way it could hardly come at a worse time given United's form but it also presents a chance, a big chance for Solskjaer's team to kickstart their, their campaign, their season, that seems unlikely though, we'll, we'll talk about Liverpool more in a second but since we've had no game over the last week how have, if at all your thoughts kind of your thoughts on the situation at United changed?
0: I wouldn't say my thoughts have changed too drastically from the last time we spoke on it on the podcast. I think it's still not an acceptable situation really and not something that is easy for us as fans to get behind. I think maybe, you know, come to think of it a little bit more in the long term when it's a little bit removed from any games and, you know, maybe think that ultimately whether we finish... Fifth or ninth this season. Actually, in the long run, might not matter too much, and that it it might be worth accepting the a terrible season, a truly terrible season. Like I'm talking about like mid-table finishing. If that is what it takes to for something to to change and and for us to kind of move forward eventually. But I wouldn't say too much has has really changed on on the thoughts of, of this season specifically. Yeah,
1: I'd agree. I guess I guess time kind of numbsy anger to a certain extent but I, th- I think to me been a, it's been a really busy period for United in terms of it how has. many games they've had we've had loss after loss draw after draw and it's we, we've we constantly had this this is kind of anger behind us and not had the chance to really reflect on it and I, I think when you're not watching United play every three days it it becomes even more obvious where the club's actual problems lie and it's not with Oligan and Solskjaer. Um and I think now I've had this break and who knows we're football fans we're incredibly fickle it might change but I, I think at the moment I'm I'm now definitely of the opinion that United have to back Solskjaer and they can reevaluate at the end of the season and see if there's progress being made either on the pitch or off it because it has to be by the end of the season there has to be significant progress in one of those factors. Yeah. Both would be preferable, but um one of those and you would think it would be off the pitch where progress is made has to has to be shown. So United can reevaluate at the end of the season, but I think now I'm I'm pretty confident that I, I want them to back Solskjaer for at least the next eight, nine months.
0: Well I think something we said on the last podcast is, is very true that Solskjaer might not be the solution here, but he's also not necessarily the problem, if that if that makes sense. I think he he he's probably not the best manager that we could have at the football club at the moment. I think most people would probably accept that argument at the moment. But I also don't think getting a new manager solves all of our problems. And in some ways, it might take a season where we finish ninth or 10th to actually you know, create a, a sort of almost like reset button on the entire football club. Because what is it now, five, six seasons of, of poor results, or at least results that are poor in the eyes of fans, haven't been enough to kind of create that that reset of the club. And so maybe it, it will take a terrible season for that to happen. And so that's kind of what I mean when I say that whether we finish fifth or sort of ninth or tenth of this season might not make that much difference because we're still not getting Champions League football. We're still not getting the results that we want. But actually, finishing lower down, it, it, I, I struggle with this because you would have thought after five years of mediocrity that would have been enough to reset yeah. everything that was going on and it hasn't but i mean who knows maybe finishing mid table and genuinely being a mid table team this year might be the catalyst for massive wholesale changes
1: yeah i think there's there's so much of it there's so much to do with united where you kind of just question how how people haven't realized what the problem is yet and perhaps they have realized what the problem is but they're just they don't want to to see it that way so obviously you question that but at the same time it, it seems the problem i have with which is the same as as you i think is Every step of decreasing quality for United has seemed like it will be the set, the step that triggers the reboot, that triggers a change in in how the club is run, and it just hasn't happened. You would think falling so heavily under David Moyes would yeah. be a wake up call. You would think having to sack Louis Van Gaal after he's won the FA Cup would be a wake up call, and you think Jose Mourinho in particular would be a wake up call. Um, and I, my hope is that they've already realised with Solskjaer's poor form is that they've already realised. They accept that they now need to make serious changes. The the problem I have is during this international break, the papers have been full of articles going in-depth on, on how United is run, um, how they think that they finally managed to get player recruitment right. Now, we've had one good summer. Perhaps they have got it right, finally. But this constant briefing of the press after so many years of mediocrity, as you say, is so frustrating. Particularly in... They, they, United just seem... They never accept silence. They always... It seems to me United always feel like they have to fill the papers with something and they're going to try and make it positive.
0: And there was the uh, the expected leaks about a new technical director coming in this time, oh, Edward yeah, Van and Yeah.
1: It's, it's, it's just it's the same things... That's the thing with United is that the same issues always come... On and off the pitch, and th- and that's not a surprise. So we've said it before that the the lack of direction at the top of the club in relation to transfers and and recruitment and strategy feeds onto the pitch because there's no direction on the pitch either. And the the same problem with uh this kind of just relaying of the, of the old same stuff over and over again is exactly the same thing. It happens on and off the pitch. We see the same patterns happen under various managers of, oh, we're going to appoint a technical direct every time the, the newspaper's a bit quiet or there's some criticism for United. And on the pitch, it's, well, United have a, a decent run of games. It looks like they're a really good counter-attacking side. And then you realise that actually they, they can't create goals at all.
0: It makes sense. If you don't have any direction, you don't have a clear plan in your recruitment strategy and the kind of players that you're going to bring in, then you're not going to have a clear plan on the pitch. It's what we've been saying for years, that part of the reason why City and Liverpool have been so successful over the last few years is that they have a plan they can work towards and when they sign players they make a point of signing players that fit into what they're trying to do you know that you know even even though we all complain about you know city's oil money and all this stuff quite often they don't actually sign the most expensive players they don't often sign players that are established world class footballers yet by the time they get to city they become world class players there because they are bought because they fit into their style they fit into what at the moment Pep and before that all of Mauro Pellegrini and all the all the previous managers they fit into what they were trying to do and and that all that then feeds down onto the football pitch because if your recruitment strategy, if your board is all pulling in one direction, your team will also be pulling in one direction, and then yeah. the football you play, lo and behold, becomes much more cohesive. We haven't had that probably since David Gill left
1: the club. Yeah, I think I think it's just the things with these reports. In there was, there was one in the Times, one in the Telegraph, one in the Athletic. Different, they they all differed. To be fair, they weren't all just the trotted out same brief, but they seem very positive. About how United have have changed on certain matters and the plans for the future, and it's it's positive until you remember how many times we've seen such empty words over the last half a decade. It's never followed up with the right action. So what United have been saying in this October international break is very positive, or well, not saying, but but leaking to journalists about how they turned down Neymar because they weren't sure about his his personality and and the fact that he just wanted money how they researched 15 right backs before signing Aaron Ramsey Saka so th- there are obviously positive things there but that's what united want you to hear But also i mean um,
0: doing you're doing a lot of research on a signing you're about to spend 50 million pounds on shouldn't be something that we have to show off about that should just be part of parcel yeah. of of signing a player i mean that's like yeah. that's like someone bragging that they went to three different car dealerships before they spent 50 grand on a car that's something you'd expect. I'd be worried if they didn't have to do that. So the fact that that's almost yeah, something I guess, feel like they have to brief the press about to get some sort of, some kind of credit from fans, is, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the other thing about United now is that as fans on and off the pitch again, the same patterns on and off it, is we, we've got such low expectations for something like this. It's like, ah, oh, brilliant United are finally researching their signings. And and yeah, yeah that should absolutely be happening all the time. Uh, but the thing is there was all these news. there was also a report that Mourinho signed Fred for 52 million because he didn't actually want him but he thought United just wouldn't give him another midfielder if he didn't sign Fred so he just went for him as, uh, anyway uh, which is absolutely typical Mourinho and also typical United um there are a lot of there's a lot of talk about the January transfer window because we're in October, obviously. So papers and, and fans have decided that all talk must now focus on on the January transfer window, which is so so many games away. It, it really shouldn't be the focus now, but um, the Athletic have claimed that United are targeting four signings in January. I mean, seems baffling to me.
0: I'd be very shocked if we sign anyone in January who would come in yeah. as a first team player. I mean, historically, United don't really use the January transfer window that much both under Ferguson and, and since then I mean really the only significant signings we've made in January recently were Juan Mata and Alexis Sanchez I mean the Alexis signing obviously went did not go, go as expected yes. <laughs> and the, the the Juan Mata signing really was even though he, he, he's turned out to be a pretty good player and was someone that we needed was a bit of a panic signing really in the middle of, of David Moyes' season
1: It was also that Mata uh, he he's had some good moments but should have been a far better player than than he has been, like, pretty much yeah. everyone United have signed. I, yeah. I just think that, yeah, there's only two types of January signings that work well. The first is kind of a young player with potential but not too much hype so they don't have to start all the time, who can use the second half of the season to kind of settle in with the club before a good pre-season and, the, and then getting the season started. And the other is a seriously good player, who can settle immediately but they are very rare and very expensive. So I just think United should be focusing on having a list of summer targets with backups and be ready to back Solskjaer with a, a serious amount of money. Don't waste it in January. Just spend the 100, 200, 300 million that's needed in in the, in June and July and forget about January because unless United are embroiled in some kind of relegation battle as they kind of currently are um they don't need to to worry about january we can just get the season over with somehow i mean we've written off the season by october which is incredible
0: well yeah and as, as sad as this is to kind of admit to be fair by january our season probably will be over in terms of actually doing something in yeah. in the league or you know all right maybe we'll still be in the fa cup or the europa league or something but we're not really going to have any anything to play for in the league for the majority of the season you would think come january so what's the point in paying probably double the price for a player because you always pay massively inflated prices in January? What's the point in pa- paying overinflated prices for a player when actually they're not really going to help us that much? The whole point of January signings is that it's someone that's going to give you a boost and, and sort of get you through to the end of the season. And for us, although that that would be great to have a new signing, we don't really have anything to give us a boost towards. So much rather just wait, pay a more normal price in the summer and get everything done then when they, all the new signs can come in and have a proper pre-season with the club. Yeah,
1: I think the the other thing I'd be interested to talk about from a, a transfer window kind of view is a lot of the talk this week as well as been about how, and, and in the summer as well to be fair, about how United have got this new focus on young British players. And I completely understand it. And and bissaka is a very good signing, that James is a good signing. United have benefited from these kind of... Transfers before, in a, in a big way, um, throughout all of their managers, Fergie, Busby, and, and all between Atkinson, Sexton, and, and Doherty But the, uh, I just have some concerns. It seems like United are kind of. So when Edward would first started as as chief executive at United, there was this interview where he said United should have a Ballon d'Or contender at any point in their in their team. And United should be signing galactico signings like Real Madrid, and then that's obviously changed now, Um and it, it even changed in the last three years. And then now it's gone on to this British emphasis, young British emphasis. Now I get it, but it also I also have fears that United will dig their own holes, dig their own graves by focusing if they are solely on these kind of players because British players are notoriously expensive uh, and even more expensive for United because everyone hates United and everyone knows how much money they have. They also demand yeah. higher wages a lot of the time, a lot more pressure and <laughs> most of the time not as good. So it, it just seems a bit of a weird one for me.
0: Well, again, it just seems like another way of, of United kind of briefing the press on... A, a new sort of strategy that is almost as much a marketing strategy as it is an actual recruitment strategy of oh we're going to remake this team in that in proper british way and play proper good british football with british players in the team it's like well actually fans don't really care about that in the long run i don't care if we have a team of 11 english players or 11 11 non-english players if as long as we win in the league that's all i really care about you know you you don't like players because of where they're from. You like players because of who they are and the way they play on the pitch, really. So I honestly, I'm not sure that this whole young English thing will stick around for too long because I think they'll so- slowly realise that it's just not sustainable to be going after young English players. Cause like you said, they're expensive. They're so expensive. They're expensive. They have way too much pressure on them, which we have already seen destroy some players careers. They've way too much pressure on them. They're too expensive. And often Although the experience of playing in the Premier League is helpful in terms of making the transition to another Premier League club, I actually don't think the, the kind of training that they get, especially at a younger age, is that great. And so you end up with players who technically are not actually that good. Chris Smalling? Yeah. Could make that argument about Aaron wan as well, to be fair. Yeah,
1: someone who is, who is turned into a right-back at a, at a very late age and he's doing really well, but technically hasn't got some of the things that right-backs would be required to have in a a lot of other countries. Um, I mean,
0: even to a lesser extent, look at Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford, two extremely talented players playing in forward roles, who I think with the kind of talent that they have, if they were brought up in any other country, would probably now be a lot further ahead in their careers than they really are. But their techniques are a little bit scruffy and, and just very inconsistent.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think United will probably change their their tactics when Leicester demand £100 for James Madison or or something like that. And United go, ah, um, (laughs) I think we should probably start looking abroad now. Um, Right, we we should move on to previewing the Liverpool game. United do have injuries. Anthony Martial hoping to be back though. So is Aaron Bissaka, who we've just been talking about. But David De Gea possibly out with a groin injury. Um, Picked it up for Spain against Sweden. He got his first team spot uh, back. For Spain and played well until until this injury, and I, I think the key factor against Liverpool in any game is is David de Gea often, <laughs> so that's a that's a big concern.
0: It is it is a big concern, but I am a lot more confident about our backup goalkeeper than I think most teams in the league are. I mean, Romero is no is no David de Gea, but I obviously I'd much prefer to have de Gea in there against Liverpool. Don't get me wrong, but Romero is a very very competent backup. I'm not saying he's going to be able to single-handedly save us a game like De Gea will, but I don't think he's going to lose us the game either.
1: Yeah, I I guess Yeah, that's the difference. De Gea could rescue a point for United after uh, a 90-minute barrage from Liverpool. And Romero, you just can't see doing that. Um, He will let in the goals that you expect him to let in, whereas De Gea will save the goals that you just have... Every confidence they're going to hit the back of the net when they're they're struck from the player's foot. Um, so um, we could just hope that that the hair will be fit. We'll see. There's been no word from United. Spain's doctor has said that he had an issue and he he played on um, because he wanted to. Let's let's talk about a few other things. Axel Twenzebe or Victor Lindelof against Liverpool.
0: For me, I'd probably go Lindelof um, just because I don't think he's done anything wrong to warrant. Twanzeby Zab- Twan playing in front of him, but I would be very happy with Twanzeby playing as well. I think he's done very, very well when he's coming to the side. I just don't think you can warrant dropping Lindelof at the moment because I don't think Twanzeby has played really any better than, than Lindelof necessarily and Lindelof has, has been absolutely fine so far this season. So I think there's no point disrupting that Maguire-Lindelof partnership if you don't have to, especially in a big
1: yeah, game. Yeah, I think that's that's fair enough. The only concern I'd have is if Paul Pobber isn't fit, which I don't think he will be, um, it looks like he's going to be out for the, the the whole of October, then I think Twanzibbe gives you more from from the base of defence in terms of speeding up the play. I think Lindelof is a good passer with the ball, but in terms of setting the tempo from defence, I think Twanzibbe kind of makes the game go by quicker. And and sets that for, for United, which Pogba normally has to do when Lindelof is playing, as we've we've seen before. Now the the front three, Rashford, and let's just talk about Rashford for a second because he scored for England against Bulgaria. Quite a few players scored for England against Bulgaria, to be fair. But he's he does show his quality for England, and he still starts for them ahead of Jadon Sancho. And it it kind of sums United's problems up. Is that he drowns in the in the pressure and expectation at United and uh when he's put in a, a confident England side where his role is, is much clearer uh and there are other players to take on responsibility like Kane and Sterling and many others to be fair then he, he looks confident and, and plays much better. I just think it's worth remembering quite how good Rashford is. He's twenty one, um He's a he's a really good player. You don't I don't need to pull out how many goals he scored, how many trophies he's won because I've done that before on this podcast. But he just is a really good player going through a bad spell, and United shouldn't be relying on him, and that's that's the problem.
0: Yeah, it is a problem because he's still a young player, and we shouldn't have to be relying on on a twenty one year old to kind of be our savior. But he's going through a patch of not great form, at least with United. But as we've said before, he's a massive confidence player. And so hopefully his goal, his very good goal for England last week, can kind of help give him a boost as he comes back to United. And, I know, I'm quite critical of Marcus Rashford. I feel like probably more critical than most just because he frustrates me in how much talent he has and that he doesn't necessarily always show that. But it it is easy to forget. He is a very good player, especially when he's on top form. And these sort of games against Liverpool do tend to bring out the best against him. You know he scored before against Man City on his first ever Manchester Derby. He actually skinned Trent Alexander Arnold a while ago at home against Liverpool. So you know, hopefully, his goal against England and this being a big game can really fire him up. And we always say about these big games, they are both a potential nightmare, but also they are a big opportunity because if you get a good result in these kind of games. It does have the potential to kind of turn around your season.
1: Yeah, and as you say, Rashford has, has performed in many big games before. Who would you start alongside him? Uh, because Dan James looks like he'll be fit. He did have a head collision for Wales, but I, th- I think he he's fine. Um, Anthony Marshall potentially back. Marshall will be a. It, it's a difficult one. I was going to say Marshall would be a, a game changer for United. Now he could be a game changer for United, but he can be very inconsistent. I
0: think. If I think if Martial is fully fit, you, you've you got to start him. Just because I don't see anyone else who, who would come in and do a better job than Martial. It is always a little bit of a risk because he is very inconsistent. But I'd much rather play Martial knowing that he might not perform to his best than play someone like Pereira or Mata who... Yeah, you know absolutely. that their ceiling is is very limited. Yeah,
1: I think I think if if Martial's name is on the team lineup and and Pereira or Mata is not, then I will feel much more confident in that hour before the game kicks off on Sunday.
0: And it, you know, in in some ways, stuff like this, you, got, you kind of got to think think of it from Liverpool's perspective. Yeah, if you're a Liverpool defender sitting in that change room, whose name would you be? I mean, I don't think any of them will really scare you, but who would you be least happy to see on that team sheet? It's not Pereira, it's not Matter, it's probably Anthony Martial.
1: Well, out of any of the United players. If if Liverpool are looking at United squad, there's probably two players, three who scare them: Rashford, Popper and Martial, and potentially Dan James because of his pace. But I think Liverpool yeah. have a good enough defence and, and good enough full-backs to deal with that. Um, yeah, I think if I had to choose my front three, I'd probably go with with Rashford on the left, Martial up front, and and Dan James on the on the right.
0: Yeah, I'd go with that.
1: Just because I, I think Rashford. A spell out on the left could be good for for Marcus Rashford because I think that's where he's actually at his best. And we've had this conversation so many times over the last three, four years. um, Where is, is Marcus Rashford a centre forward? Not really, is he? No, he's not. I think and he's yeah, only on a centre left,
0: forward if he's playing with someone else up front. Yeah,
1: and on the left, he he shows some serious. And obviously, quality. very few teams want to play yeah. two up front anymore. United did. would have to change their entire system to accommodate that. Although, I, as we've said, we discussed the three at the back and and a front two of of Rashford and and Martial with Greenwood coming in from time to time. Yeah,
0: which I really do hope that we yeah, try. Yeah, it, it would some be
1: way. it would be exciting whether it would work, and it's not just some kind of Football Manager of FIFA. Ideal as there's so many things that that fans say yeah. are we we'd see, but I think it would be exciting. Um, what are you going is your your prediction for the Liverpool game? I I I'm scared to ask this.
0: I'll be very interested to see how Liverpool set up because traditionally in the last few years, despite how well they've been doing and how poorly we've been doing, they come to Old Trafford and they don't they don't really play that expansively. They look to kind of sit in. Control the game, yes, but not not go out all guns blazing on us. And I wonder if the the huge contrast in our form at the moment will encourage Klopp to be a little bit more risky. But I actually don't think it will. I, I think Liverpool would be content getting out of Old Trafford with a draw. Yeah. So I'm actually going to go, I think, with a one-all draw. Oof. I think Liverpool are by far a better team than us. And if they come out and play the way that they usually do, they will absolutely trounce us, probably three or four nil. Yeah. But I just think that they won't, they won't come out all guns blazing. They'll kind of sit back, maybe control possession and control the game, but not not really try and play a, in a risky manner. And I think they'll probably nick a goal, but I think that will give us a little bit of a chance as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, they often seem, I mean, the Liverpool of last year that came to United could have been Premier League champions and, and almost were and yet they they kind of seem stifled by the the occasion at, at Old Trafford. Um it should be yeah. a really good atmosphere. The the Red Army section have 1400 seats for this game in the Stretford End lower tier. Uh many more people than that applied and it should be an incredible atmosphere. United Liverpool games normally are.
0: And to be and to be fair to United the new um the new J-Stand initiative really is making a big difference.
1: Yeah. I I went in the in the the red army section on for the arsenal game and they everyone who's who's a regular in that section uh said it was probably the worst they've heard it uh and it, it was pretty good um but yeah i think this liverpool game will be, be huge i mean you them. can hear
0: it you can hear it even in sort of nothing games like even the, the europa league game against the yeah, Star yeah. there was the crowd was up for it the entire game even though it was a Thursday night game against a nothing team, and it was a very bad game. So the yeah. entire the entire game, you could still yeah, hear that's a big singing.
1: change. I was there at the Rochdale game, not sitting in or not standing in the in the Red Army section, and yet it was a brilliant atmosphere. It was one of the, honestly, was one of the weirdly one of the best atmospheres I've heard at Old Trafford over the last two seasons, and yet it was Rochdale, and, and we drew one one in a in a terrible game. <laughs> um, right, you've gone one one. I'm gonna go. I'm tempted by 1-1 as well. No, I'm going to go 2-1 Liverpool. I think this is the first time I've ever predicted United to lose on the Manchester United (laughs) Weekly Podcast. And this is our... I don't know 160th 170th no idea somewhere around their episode Why Paul
0: Merson predicting Arsenal to do the Invincibles every season
1: yeah and Mark Lawrence does the same with Liverpool I I predict draws a lot of the time it's just I always feel bad predicting United I don't want to send people off whether they're on their commute or anything with the idea that United are going to get beaten so I kind of just lie through my teeth to try and
0: Maybe we should just say to listeners from now on, whatever we say, just take a goal off from United and that's like our real prediction. Yeah.
1: What so so mine's gonna turn into a two level Liverpool comfortable win. No, I, I genuinely yeah. think Liverpool will win two one. But I'm sure that will change when I find out how injured Dav De Gea is or or how yeah. injured Anthony Martial is, etc. Um Right, we've run over a bit already, so um, not going to do too much on the, on the youth teams. All you need to know is Angel Gomez scored twice for England's under-20s. Brandon Williams played in both of those games. Mason Greenwood was forced to pull out of England's under-21 side with a back injury but he should be okay soon. Uh, younger levels, Jimmy Garner scored from the spot as he captained England um, in one of their games and played in both of their games. Ted and Mengi played for England's under-18s. Will Fish for England's under-17s. Harvey Neville, uh, son of Phil was called up for the Ireland Under-19 side. Hannibal Medbury involved for France Under-17s. Ethan Galbraith and Kieran O'Hara in the youth sides for Northern Ireland and Ireland respectively. And Dean Henderson, Lone Star at Sheffield United, received his first senior call-up for England but didn't play. In women's news, which is much more important, there was good news. Uh, United secured their second victory of the season after, after a tough start to the campaign. They faced Spurs, a team who finished behind United in the WSL Championship last year and was promoted alongside them. An own goal was sandwiched between strikes from Hansen and Ross while Lauren James was sent off in the last minute as Casey side triumphed 3-0 at the Hive in North London. The Reds now come back home to host Manchester City in the second ever derby between the sides. That's on Sunday. Before United men's face Liverpool, you can go and watch at Lee Sports Village. It's a FA WSL Cup match. Right, we're, we're going to have to leave it there on Series 5, Episode 11 of the Manchester United Week Podcast. Thank you for listening as always. If you're enjoying the show, and it seems quite a few of you are, because we just hit our half a millionth listen is that the right phrase I think it is more than 500,000 listens now so thank you for everyone who has tuned in since uh, what is it January 2016 somehow our fifth series yeah Um, and still not one has been positive Uh, (laughs) yeah we have chosen the the worst time or maybe the best time because it gives us a lot to talk about to, to have a Manchester United podcast um for more from Jack throughout the week and his reactions immediate reactions to the Liverpool game you can find him on Twitter at
0: at UTDTait T-A-I-T
1: and you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD that's P-O-D at the end there have a great week try and enjoy the Liverpool game no matter the score and um,